0: Chapter 37 of Southern Arabia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Abu Jalal. Southern Arabia by James and Mabel Bent. Chapter 37 From the Plain of Mishal to the Sea we joined the camels on the way and after two hours of stones ascended the very steep akaba beva the view from the hills above about two thousand five hundred feet is splendid all the Yeferi mountains and the guddam range ending at Haida na'ab and giving place to the higher mountains of Rikab and Riuda, we descended but not much into the lovely, Wadi Hadda, full of trees smothered with a kind of vine, with thick, glossy, India-rubber-like leaves. Then we went on straight up Akaba Hadda, to the huge plain of Mishal, full of villages, but ill-supplied with water. There are only some very bad wells for the cattle, and they have to fetch drinking water from afar, from Renab and Lammas, we engaged a Bedou's camel to keep us supplied while resting our own the plain is two thousand seven hundred feet above the sea the sheikh's name is muhammad bin nasr Nakai. this is the first time we heard this pronunciation of the prophet's name he was determined to give us a grand reception sheykh sayl had gone forward to announce us from giudah and he came to meet us on his pony down both Akabas, a fearful journey we always liked sheykh sayl very much he was the sheykh of dirgheg his hair and his shaggy chest were not white but a lovely sky blue in that part of the world old people's hair is not dyed red with henna as it is in other parts of arabia and asia minor and in persia so the effect of the indigo can be seen from a distance we could see the preparations there was a long line on the sandy plain of between two and three hundred bedouin naked save for blue scarf round their waists with dagger powder horn etc stuck in some had guns matchlocks and some had spears they mostly had their long hair tied up and sticking out in a fuzz behind as funny a long line of men as ever one saw we dismounted nearly a quarter of a mile off and all our party advanced hand in hand fourteen besides ourselves and mathios we being the only ones who did not know the words in which to chant our response to the welcoming shout this they interpreted occasionally by the high gurgling sound they are so fond of constantly coming out of the rank one or other and firing a gun and retiring the blue-bearded sheikh sail galloped up and down in front of us twirling his spear we stopped one hundred fifty yards from them and after much firing the spearmen began to parade before us in a serpentine way two and two backwards and forwards zigzag and round and round the gunners gradually getting nearer and nearer to us and dragging the gunners after them with a red flag a seyyid and their sheikh, muhammad bin nasr between them when they got quite close they welcomed us and we said peace to them they passed us so many times that we could see and notice them well some were very tall one who was very lame led his tiny little boy The lancers danced very prettily, having a man a little way in front of them, executing wild capers, and throwing up his spear and catching it, singing all the while songs of welcome. We could not understand more than some allusions, which assured us they were composed for the occasion. After many gyrations, they retired to their former place, and then a herald came forward and made a solemn address of welcome, then our turn came, and we sent forth a line of men, with Sultan Hayder in it, to sing and let off guns. When the two lines met, they shook hands and kissed, the sultans and Sayeds being kissed on the forehead and the upper part of the leg. When they returned to us, all our party joined hands to go to our camp, now ready, a good distance off, all keeping step, in a kind of stilted, prancing way, singing. The spearmen in front danced with all manner of light and graceful antics and we were nearly stifled with the dust and the din was so appalling that we arrived quite dazed at our tents after this welcome which had lasted fully an hour. We were the first white people who had been at Mishal. I tore my camera from its case to take a photograph before the people left us and it did better than i could have expected in such a crowd with no sun and so much whirling dust the town consists of a low square dar and a collection of brushwood arbours so slight that there is no pretension of concealing anything that goes on inside we were very thankful for a large pot of coffee and ginger sent by a sultan and a fat lamb the princes ventured to leave us in charge of Abdullah bin Abdurrahman and abode in the tower. Sultan Haydar went home from here. The tableland of Mishal is approached by three akabas: 1. Sauda to 2,000 feet, 2. Beva to 2,500 feet, 3. Hadda to 2,750 feet. The Nakai tribe lives here and are on friendly terms with their neighbours, the Fadli, a sufficiently rare circumstance in this country. The Nakai chief can put 400 men in the field to help the Fadli. The Markeshi were at war with them. They live in the Quddam range, and had been giving the Sultan trouble lately. The road to Shukra, most frequented, is the Tarikal Arkob. Eastward goes the road to the Hadramut, over the plain northward is the mountainous country of the audeli tribe where they told us it is sometimes so cold that the rain is hard and quite white and the water like stone the plain is ten or fifteen miles long by about four or five miles at its broadest if irrigated it would yield enormously the well is of great depth but the water very bad My husband ascended a mountain about 3,000 feet high, but only 400 feet above the plain, with a most remarkable view of the Awadeli Mountains, about 20 miles away, towering up to a great height, far higher than the Yafai range, which Mr. Tate gives as 7,000 feet. These are probably 10,000 feet. The range must run for 30 or 40 miles from east to west, with few breaks and no peaks. We were not well the last day at Mishal. The Awadeli women paint red lines under their eyes, and down their noses and round their foreheads, with a kind of earth dye which they call hissen. Sometimes there is a round spot on the forehead, and red triangles on the cheeks. One woman had her face literally dyed scarlet all over, she had a heavy necklace of beads and carried the sheepskin coat that she could not wear in the hot plain rolled up and laid on her head it is curious how dissatisfied dark people seem to be with the colour of their skins so often trying to lighten it the fairness of the english is in some places attributed to the soap they use we took advantage of the curiosity of the awadeli who had just arrived with a kafila to make them stay in our camp and question them the El khawr mountains look most fascinating to see only from a distance they are inhabited by lawless tribes owing allegiance to no man and having no wholesome fear of the wali of aden before their eyes would murder any traveller who ventured among them they are all bedouin the awadeli are a very large tribe and say they have 4000 men for war the markashi can put 500 or 600 in the field and the fazli 2000 lauda the chief town of the awadeli is much bigger than shibam there are many arabs the sultan is muhammad bin saleh it is 6 hours from mishal 34 miles and is situated below the mountains above it is el betha Sultan Saleh, Belad el maghaba in the Upper Yafi'i country, is under Sultan Hakam Muhammad bin Ali. Sabad el Bayda Resas, where there must be lead, is not under the Turks. El Awdeli lives there. Neither is Sahib Lauda under the Turks. The inhabitants are Augari. This has a very soft guttural. The Arabic, Reen our next stage was bir lammas about four miles off mostly across the monotonous plain we passed four dars and villages in time of war the fadli sultan comes and occupies one of these dars we met sheikhs walking with little battle axes on long poles weapons in war and in peace used for chopping wood at all times emblems of their rank the plain at length broke away and we got into the narrow and not very deep wooded wadi El Mimin. It has very precipitous sides of basalt, brown in color, and making a very untidy attempt at being columnar. Bir La is a great and I must add very dirty halting place for caravans going to Shukra on the tariq El Arkub, to El Kaur and the Wadi Hadramut we were two nights at bir la mas i was too ill to go about at all but i could not resist going out to see some baboons which came to look at us from the low cliffs i am sure their leader must have been four feet long without his tail my husband who went for a climb came to pretty close quarters with a striped hyena we were encamped about three hundred eighty yards off from the well and thought it a very pretty place with acacia trees and creepers hanging in long trails and making arbours of all of them the women do all the work here having to fetch water from birlamas and Renab for mishal the children up to fourteen years of age tend the flocks and the men stroll about or sit in very warlike looking conclaves with guns and spears young children have wooden jembias to accustom them to their use and it is funny to see tiny urchins of three or four hurling reeds at each other in imitation of their elders with more deadly weapons the bedouin seem born in an element of war one we heard of had lasted fifteen years but was happily now stopped for a little while on a hill near the plain about half a mile from birlamas there are ruins of good style probably of the ashabir period of hamdani we were to ride five hours to the next water after bir la i felt it would be an awful journey as i was becoming more and more inert. but i was able to jump on to my camel as usual i begged my husband to tell me as each hour passed being quite determined never to ask too soon but every time i did ask it turned out to be only twenty minutes from the last time we were soon out of wadi Lamas and went over stony plains with basalt scattered over them and no possible place to encamp which i was keenly on the lookout for we went through a curious little pass not high but a very narrow cutting just wide enough for us to ride through for three hundred yards and then we had to wind down steeply at the other side over rocks i began to feel that i had no control over my legs and i hardly cared to change my position for going up or down hill and once when my camel slipped down about five feet i started to fall off headlong but a Bedou caught me by my leg and held me on if i had fallen as the path was very narrow the camel would surely have stepped on me i should certainly have cracked my skull first camels are not like horses they do not object to stepping on people a late sultan of shukra fell from his camel and was trampled on and quote, though the quran was read to him and herris or talismans were put on him his breath would not stay in him but came out in half an hour heresies are put on camels to make them strong my husband's camel had one of which its master was very proud at last we came to the wadi Samlouf and I begged that we might stop and have a camel fetched for water. I had to be dragged from my camel and laid in the cinder-like sand till the tent was pitched, for, as my malarial fever was constant and I had no tertian intervals, I lost my strength completely. Both my husband and I and several others were very ill, and we were not strong enough to get at our medicine chest. The water was very bad. The Sultan Salim and other grandees camped at the more dangerous open mouth of the valley the place where we pitched the tents was very pretty there were trees and very fantastic peaky rocks against the sky and a great step about three feet high which had once been a wave of basalt black on the yellow sand the camel men used to spread their beds and light their fire on this sort of stage by night but they spent the day under the trees the last night we were in the wadi samlouf There was a great noise, guns firing, parties going out to reconnoitre, and shouting, but it turned out that the newcomers who arrived at such an unseasonable hour were sent by the Sultan of Shukra to welcome and escort us. From this spot I had to be carried to the sea, seventeen miles on my bed, which was strengthened with tent pegs and slung on tent poles. From the little Sultan downwards there was not one who did not help most kindly, We went down gently three thousand feet. I cannot describe this journey, except that it was so very winding that I seemed to see the camels meeting and passing me often. Fortunately, the crossing of the low hot Abien was short. I dreaded the journey as I thought my bearers would not keep step, but they did wonderfully well, though of course they had no path to walk in, for two men and the bed were far too wide for any path there was. I saw one man double up his legs and go over a boulder three feet or four feet high, and they kept me very even, too, and only dropped my head once. The bearers changed as smoothly as if they were accustomed to it, and were always saying something kind to me. I was not pleased at first at being carried off very suddenly head first, but it was certainly sweeter not having all those men in front of me, and I rejoiced in a delicious sea-wind, which blew stronger and stronger and just seemed to keep me alive i was very grateful to them and took good care never to ask if we had still far to go how glad i was to find myself in a rushing roaring rabble-rout of men women and children tearing along beside me not a thing i generally like but now it told me of the end of my weary journey i was deposited on my bed in a tower tent pegs and poles removed, and left with a spearmen on the doorstep to keep off intruders. The rest of our miserable, fever-stricken party came in half an hour later. The sultan of the Fadli came to our tent to see us, a pleasant-faced, mustard-coloured man, and also his wife, the daughter of an Aden sheikh, a very handsome woman. They were very kind in sending milk, watermelons, and any little luxury they could. The sultan lived in a fine brown building, with a stunted tower, a glorified Arab house, but nothing like those in the Hadramut. They send shark's fins to China from here, as well as from Socotra and the Somali coast. This is probably Ptolemy's Agmanisfe Come. It is just the right distance from Arabia Emporium, that is, one day, so we found it. There was the greatest difficulty in getting a boat, for none of the ships wished to go to Aden for fear of quarantine, as they would be supposed to be coming from the plague-stricken Bombay. My husband promised a hundred rupees for every day, and the sultan compelled a captain, whose Baggala was loaded for Mokalla to take us to Aden by refusing to give him his papers otherwise. Our last moments at Shukra were spent lying on the sand with our heads on a bag, and sheltered by a little bit of sacking on three sticks the sultan sat over us on a high chair saying very polite things we were lifted on board our ship at three o'clock and from the ship admired shukra which looked very picturesque in the evening haze with its towers its few trees and its many peaked guddam mountains behind we reached Aden at three next afternoon This is all I can write about this journey. It would have been better told, but that I only am left to tell it. End of chapter 37. Recording by Abu Jalal Nicholas Bridgewater. Recorded in Oxford, England. End of Southern Arabia by James and Mabel Bent.